Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome back in. It's the Lions 24 7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. He is Sean Fitz. We've got a lot to catch up on here on the podcast. There's not so much in the way of breaking news, which is a very rare moment in time considering what we've been dealing with at the end of the season and since the season concluded for the Nittany Lions. So we're going to do something a bit different today, Sean and I, breaking down a really important aspect of this Penn State roster. Uh, first, if you missed it, though, Brian Doan, National Recruiting Analyst for 24-7 Sports, has spent a lot of time with us on the last episode talking about Penn State's big Junior Day recruiting event last weekend. Also shared, shared some thoughts on, on some of the early enrollees, particularly the quarterback situation, and a bunch more on what the Nittany Lions are trying to accomplish in recruiting. You know Brian's awesome when he hops on the show. If you missed it, check that one out on the last episode. But like I said, Sean, because I've already mentioned that there is no breaking news here on a Thursday morning, by the time we finish recording and get this up, there'll be like four or five items that have popped up. But just a moment where we can exhale and do something just a little different. Yeah, I think we'll have a few, hopefully have a few of these episodes. I know it's a junior day coming up, but we'll get into that one later. It's not it's not a big one, um, to be honest with you. If you look at uh, how Penn State scheduled them, I and actually if you looked on Twitter and saw the uh, invitations, the big ones were the first weekend and the last weekend, sort of an in-between weekend, still some good good players coming this weekend, no doubt about it, but it's not going to have the star power that the first weekend and the last weekend are expected to have. But yeah, it's a good time to sort of decompress. If you want recruiting talk, don't have a ton of it in the first episode, as Tyler said. So check that out. I know it was a lo- little bit longer than we've been accustomed to going but uh check that one out and you know hopefully we'll circle circle back around and and catch some at the end of this episode as well yeah and you can also catch that on youtube of course our channel at lines 24 7 on this particular episode we will finish off with, with, with a look ahead at the recruiting weekend here at penn state uh, more happening there talk a little bit about coaches hitting the road for a few different reasons uh but this year three upcoming and and now underway for the 2020 penn state recruiting class Really an interesting group because they are now old enough where we can't really call them the young guys on the roster, but most of them are not quite established yet on Saturdays to call them program veterans when it comes to game day. Um, so they're in an interesting place, and, and their success or their failures were ultimately determined a lot about what Penn State can accomplish here. Again, third year on campus, Sean. Year one for them was an absolute wreck. Uh, many of them showed up in January. Then they were told to go home in March didn't get to come back until June because of the pandemic, didn't get any padded practices until October of that year. We know that, but you've seen a lot of impact from this group from year one to year two, now into year three. We're going to get into some of these guys, who's ready to make a move, who's already established themselves, but I'm going to go through the list real quick, Sean, of who's no longer with this class. A defensive end, Brandon Taylor, was was here and gone, had some off-field issues. Joseph Johnson, a cornerback, also had some off-field stuff happen here when he got to campus. He has since uh, transferred out. Michael Bowens was here for one season, uh, resurfaced last year in the transfer portal with the Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, And then safety Enzo Jennings hit the transfer portal after this 2021 season, as did wide receiver Norval Black out of Lackawanna Junior College. I think just pointing out here, Micah Bowen's gone. Uh, Every quarterback who Penn State signed between 2018 and 2020, there were four of them no longer on this roster. We've talked a lot about how that has 
uh, been reflected in the QB room and, and, and in this team's on-field performance in 2021. That's where it is right now, though, Sean. Five guys out of the equation uh, and a bunch more to kind of go through. One surprise there, you know, and Enzo Jennings never developed. I think that's a guy that we expected to turn a corner a couple of times. And I know he'd only been on campus for two years, but that given the safety depth and how Penn State has switched guys around, you know, Keaton Ellis is over there now. Um, you you had an opportunity to to get there and he just never got there. And that's it's one of those ones where, um, you know, he, he looked good in high school. Yeah, Alan True's come on our board and said, you know, teams didn't throw at him, but he had the athletic ability. He, he went down to the Under Armour game and, and played it actually played well against good competition down there just never clicked. And that's the one that surprises me. Uh, Norval Black, I think, uh, you know, tremendous athlete, just that the, the pandemic was not good for him in terms of his background and his ability to, to work out. And he came in rail thin, still athletic, but rail thin, never was able to break through. Micah Bowens, we've said it before. I, I don't know that I've seen, you know, Penn state sign a quarterback that, that I've, I've liked less than Micah Bowens as a prospect. Um, so I'm not surprised. Surprised he went to Oklahoma. Not surprised he didn't play at Oklahoma. Joseph Johnson, I think, just entered the portal uh, again out of Campbell. He was supposed to go to Snow College, ended up at Campbell. I think he just entered the portal this week as well. And Brandon Taylor never surfaced, uh, to my knowledge, anywhere after getting in, in trouble. So out, out of those five guys that are gone, one may be a surprise. Uh, one definitely a surprise in, Jen's, in Enzo Jennings. Norval Black uh, had the athleticism to play at this level, but didn't really break through. So I mean, it's, it is what it is. You, you're going to have a class, what was that, class of 24, 25 uh, guys that came through. And so two years in, doing a little math here, 20% of those guys gone. Seems about par for the course. And by the way, just to kind of reset here, this class, uh, 27 players, actually, Sean. Big group. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, and and some junior college involvement there. Of course, not all directly out of high school, uh, but number fifteen nationally in the twenty four seven sports composite. Number three in the Big Ten um, was this twenty twenty class for Penn State, and I really like the athletic profiles of both Joseph Johnson and Enzo Jennings. A lot of length there. Um, thought both of those players were going to be factors in the defensive backfield, and for different reasons, one reason or another. It wasn't just that that they didn't surface as contributors. They never really surfaced as guys that were part of the conversation when we got position coaches. And, you know, when we had Anthony Poindexter a, a few times here in, in year one and during the 2021 year, going back to spring and through preseason camp, I think we got him once or twice during the season. Enzo Jennings' name just really never came up. And, and usually coaches will find a way to work in some names of those younger guys, especially when you're asking, hey, who, who maybe isn't, who's maybe making their move on the practice field? We heard about some other safeties, including Tyler Rudolph, who, who last preseason was the guy who the light came on for, according to Anthony Poindexter. But one reason or another, and it's kind of, as you say, that's the name that stands out to me. It wasn't that Enzo Jennings wasn't out there on Saturdays flying around the field. It's that we weren't really getting the kind of feedback that would suggest that he was under consideration to do so. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, we we kept looking for him, you know, just based on his pedigree and background and things like that. And, and the staff was really excited when they got him on campus, but it just never, never clicked, never went anywhere. I will say with Johnson, the profile looked great. I mean, that's kind of the story about his whole recruiting six one length for days. He got in trouble a couple of times on campus. Of course, we we remember his recruitment. We didn't expect him to sign with Penn State when he committed to Penn State because he what was it NC State that he committed to and. You know, he's his father was, uh, you know, involved as well. So, I mean, there, there was a lot going on there. So when he did sign, it's like maybe he's turned the corner. He didn't. I mean, you'll have that in college football. And, and you know, you get guys that get on camp, get on a college campus and, you know, get into the college campus stuff. And that's uh, you kind of have guys that go by the wayside then. 
with those departures out of the way, let's focus on some guys who have played a bunch. You didn't get a power five player uh, in Norval Black out of Lackawanna College at wide receiver, but you sure did get one at safety with Jair Brown in that same class. Remember, those two came to camp together, earned an offer, were part of the class. We've seen them double dip with Lackawanna. You hit 50% here, but that 50% is very strong. Jair Brown, one of your top returning members of the 2022 roster, guy that had an opportunity to, to go show what he could maybe do with the NFL uh, in, in the next few months. will stick around. He was the takeaways leader for the Nittany Lions, came up big in the Outback Bowl, was was one of the rare big, uh, you know, I, I guess, positives for Penn State that afternoon in Tampa. And ultimately, I, I think he is on track to put himself in a position. I don't necessarily, necessarily know if, if the ceiling is going to go as high as Jaquan Brisker, who was you know an All-American at the end of the season by some outlets. But certainly, I think we're talking second, first team, all Big Ten capabilities, which they're going to need at safety because Jaquan Brisker, for everything he did on the field, away from the field, from, from what we heard from the coaching staff and his teammates, that is a void that I think Brown's going to be turned to in quite a, quite a lot here and almost immediately before they even get back on the practice field. First, with your point about Lackawanna, you could say it's 50-50 because you hit on Jerry Brown and, and you did not hear on Norval Black. I mean, it's it's definitely weighted toward the good in this one because Jair Brown's a yes. really good football player. He, your perceived weak link in the secondary coming into it led the nation in takeaways. I think I saw, or led the, at least led the big 10 in takeaways. That's a pretty good trade. You'll trade, you know, no offense to Norval, you'll trade Norval blacks, um, you know, his career for what you got with Jair Brown, because that's obviously a really good evaluation. I'm curious to see how he does as the, as the, the guy, you know, the, the brisker back there, if you will now. Um, but yeah, I mean, just Jair Brown has been a tremendous surprise. Um, I, I'm sure we had him what uh, mid to high three star or something like that really didn't pop overly off the charts in terms of testing and things like that. But you and I were at that camp and he was, he was a dog, man, and that's kind of what Penn State's gotten uh, out of him in the last uh, year. I, I, won't, I won't add last year because last year was a, a get-his-feet-wet situation, but that that's what they got from him this year, and that's what they expect from him in the coming year. I usually give the shout-outs shout to Montclair State, but after that Outback Bowl, when he was asked about no one believing in him coming out of high school, he was he said, except Montclair State, which I believe is a Division III uh, program there in New Jersey. So that's where he has come from in a very short time period. Uh, at wide receivers, he had a couple of true freshman starters pop up last year, which says something about where the room was and says something about the talent of that positional class in 2020. It was year one under Taylor Stubblefield. Into year two, Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert-Smith continued to play huge roles with Jahan Dotson now out of the equation. Both you look to see them take that next step up the rung of the ladder. Parker Washington as, as your number one option. We got a, We got an early glimpse of that down in Tampa against Arkansas, and Keandre Lambert-Smith scored a touchdown there. Uh, you would imagine he's your wide receiver too, although you know Tinsley comes in, Mitchell Tinsley comes in from Western Kentucky. He's going to shake up things, and, and we'll see what he can push. And there's some other receivers, as we'll mention, including one in this class, but you did really good there for Taylor Stubblefield's first group. I know the uh, uh, people were wondering about Stubblefield, and I think the first indication that things were, were moving in the right direction is when you saw these guys get to campus, make an immediate impact. Parker Washington, I'll tell you what, um, he showed up to campus in, what, in, in the summer, so he didn't even have that head start. And, and I just think his development since then has been tremendous. If, if you rule, if you kind of put aside that Ohio State group, Jahan Dotson and David Bell from Purdue. He's been just about as productive as anybody in this conference and, and being a pass target over the last two seasons combined. And I'm excited to see what year three looks like for him. 
yeah, big opportunity for these guys ahead. I mean, you look at uh, what they were able to do, these two in, in general. I mean, and it's kind of like what I just said with Lackawanna is you take, you throw numbers at a position, you know, you take the one and the one with Lackawanna, but you take Jair Brown's career over, you know, saying it's 50, 50, you, you've got two out of five that are starters for you, bona fide starters for you. You've got Malik Mega that you think can work into that. And then you've got Jaden Dotton. And I know I'm getting ahead of myself here, but you got Jaden Dotton and Norval Black. We already talked about Norval, but the good has outweighed the bad, even though it's just 40% of that class that's been the good so far. Now, Parker Washington, I think would have played regardless. I think Keandre Lambert, as you mentioned, uh, I don't want to say victim of circumstance, but you know, he, he rose up because that room was not very deep, was not very talented when he got here. Um, but he's continuing to grow into that position. So you got two starters two basically two, two year starters or one of a year and a half starter. That's a pretty good job for, for coming on campus, especially when these guys came on, because we're going to mention the pandemic and getting sent home and all that kind of stuff. Not great for Keandre, but Parker's always been that kid that's been ready to go no matter what. And he came on campus late. Um, if you remember. So, um, yeah, I mean, you, you can't complain about this. Uh, you can split hairs in terms of throwing the numbers at the position with the, with the guys lower in that circulation. Um, but you, you love what Parker Washington, he's your number one receiver next year. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Mitchell Tinsley might have something to say about that, but if he does, and you got two guys competing for the number one, you're, you're feeling pretty good about that group now needs to get deeper. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that in the off season needs to get more consistent with the rotations and things like that. But I mean, Parker Washington Lam and, and Lambert Smith, both highly rated guys, both four stars uh, by four star guys by 24 seven sports. I'm going to slow myself down here for a second, but I think that they've done a nice job of, of assimilating to the offense. And I think uh, you can see a step forward for Keandre Lambert Smith next season. Yeah, a note here for the offensive prospects. They have worked under a different offensive coordinator What in a different year. But each of those two years, you'd like to think that everything gets settled down in a lot of ways with the continuity that you have with Mike Yersich sticking around because not only were they disrupted by the pandemic in year one, uh, offensively, they had a new leader, a new voice uh, and going into year two. And that includes the tight ends, Theo Johnson, Tyler Warren. Now, Theo is the top rated tight end that this program has signed under James Franklin. And that says a lot when we talk about the players who have been at that position. Tyler Warren, though, committed earlier in the process. Theo was that big fish near the end, of, uh, moving toward the December signing period in 2019. But Tyler Warren goes from that Virginia Tech quarterback commit with no social media accounts kind of sneaks his way into this Penn State class where, where no one really, you know, it's not one of those big headline moving things. But you get to the end of both of their second years on campus. And, of course, Brenton Strange, I believe, was logging the official starts game in, game out. But Theo Johnson was, was essentially a starter for you. Tyler Warren worked his way into a lot of different roles, played that Wildcat quarterback, scored a touchdown uh, at the goal line against Auburn. It's a part of uh, his game I'm curious to see if we'll see more of in 2022. But you come out of this this season, and I kind of scratch my head and say, could Tyler Warren, five, six years down the line, end up being the best tight end of this bunch because of where he has come and how quickly he has done it? I think he's got the ability to do so. I, I still think Theo's more talented. Um, you know, Theo's got a lot of things going for him that Johnson does, and I just think he's a little bit smoother at the position. Now, you remember Tyler Warren was a high school quarterback, so you've got some growing to do into that position. We didn't expect him to play as much as he did this year, but I think, you know, he he forced his way onto the field and did a really good job. I think both of those guys, given what we've seen, you know, going back to a couple of years ago, not just with Pat Firemuth, but with guys like Nick Bowers, we think these guys are NFL guys. I mean, you know, the, the, the six foot six, they can run, they can, they can be athletic. And, and there's a spot for these guys on these rosters. Bowers, by the way, going year three now. So that's pretty awesome for him. Um, 
I will say outside of the, the running game, no more, no bigger disappointment for me than the, uh, the involvement of the tight ends this year. You know, I know they dropped them some balls and things like that, but you didn't see Penn state going to them as much as we thought that they could, especially when they ran them out there a bunch, they played a bunch of 12 personnel. They had strange and Johnson and sometimes three tight ends out there running around and, and, you know, Mike Yersich, that that was one of the worries coming in was was not really tight end centric at his previous stops and that continued even even though you had the talent that you did um, at uh, at the tight end position so that's one of those things I I'd like to see fixed I want to see Theo Johnson be a star you know I and I know yeah. those other guys are are good as well but I want to see Theo you know sort of fully embraced into to what we think that he can do and what we've seen him do in the past so um, would like to see you know he's got to take a next step on his own absolutely. But I would love to see, you know, more tight end usage in this offense because that was a huge disappointment this year. Yeah, last summer, I think both you and I pointed to Theo Johnson and, and as did a lot of people on this beat as a breakout candidate. I think that'll probably be the as, same case again the, going into next As did the head coach, yeah. you know, remember what James Franklin said in the in the preseason. Yes. He said it's the best group he's been around. It's the best group you've been around. Use them. You know, that's uh, that's yeah. uh, that's really the one of the bigger, you know, and, and, and we're going to talk about the running game so much in this offseason, the offensive line. But you got those guys and you're you're talking them up and you think that they can play and you th you see these flashes of how they can play and I know you want to get the ball to Jahan Dotson I know Parker Washington's really good but you know you you got to use them at some point and that's that that would be you know especially going down the stretch you didn't see it as much as as you thought you could as as you thought it could help this team Sorry Penn State off, no no Penn State implemented its most productive wide receiver wide receiver trio since 2017 and that's a pretty significant span but unfortunately that wasn't like you know, the, the an enhancement of the offense and complementing everything else. You had this uh, elevated play from a deeper group of wide receivers, but then you had a drop off at tight end. You have a drop off in the ground game. We've talked about that, the lack of complementary football in 2021. But yeah, if, if that is something that, that is to be improved upon in 2022, they're going to need to lean on these tight ends as playmakers and as blockers. And I'm with you, Theo Johnson, to me, he can absolutely come out of the gate as a star in September and 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 run with it. Um, but until we see it, it, it's a lot of projection, and that has been the case with Theo for a couple of years. Just going through the stats here, uh, Brent uh, coming off of a, a two and a half year span, we'll call it for for Pat Fryermuth since he was injured for the second half of his last year, in which he set the Penn State tight end record and did it in two and a half years for tight end, for tight end touchdowns. Uh, they only had five total touchdown receptions for those three tight ends. I know Warren added uh, another as a runner. Strange had 20 total catches. Theo Johnson had 19. And Tyler Warren felt like he was more involved, but just five catches five. on yeah. the year. Yeah. <laughs> I was so, I mean, that it, as well. each of these guys are, are going for 11 plus yards per catch. And I think we've seen the big playability. It felt like week in, week out, Theo Johnson may have been only catching one or two passes, but he was going for 20, 25 yards. He had a stretch there where I think uh, for the first five games or for the first six games, 20 plus yard catch in each of the games. But you're right. The the consistency needs to be there, and 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 a lot of that is going to have to come from the involvement. Um, we'll see how they they use that room because it, it sure does look like a strength still on paper. Um, running back room. Uh, we we haven't talked about them in about a show and a half, and, and let's work our way back there because Kevon Lee. Uh, he is pretty easily the most accomplished running back that returns to this 2022 running back room with Noah Kane out of the picture. He's had almost 1,000 career rushing yards. He was the team's leading rusher each of the last couple of seasons. 
But uh, there's a lot to be desired out of the ground game and the run game. And there's plenty of people who want to see Nick Singleton get here and sprint to the head of the pack and become a bell cow right away. Uh, Kevon Lee will have something to say about that. He was another player that we were pretty fascinated by in some of the conversations we had going into last season. I mean, pretty much any conversation we had about the running back room going into last season, set it on fire, bury it in the backyard, and don't apply it to reality. And Kevon Lee is part of that. He didn't have his breakout. He had some flashes. Uh, but never was able to seize that moment and also kind of had some moments seized away from him, it seems, by the direction of the play calling. Yeah, you look at his 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 chart here, and it was it was crazy to think about. You know, he he had three carries against Wisconsin, eight ball state, two against Auburn. You know, he went single digits on almost uh, what was he? I guess double digits in four games, and then just had those four carries against Arkansas. Showed the flashes. I mean, showed the flashes of the player that we think he is. I mean, we don't we don't think he's going to break a sixty yard touchdown or anything like that. I, I think that the interesting thing here is you look at Kevon Lee. You said Penn State's most accomplished running back. I don't think that can be disputed. Is he Penn State starter next year? I mean, that that's mm -hmm. kind of where you're at in this situation. Now, you you love the flashy new toy and Nick Singleton, absolutely physically talented, all that kind of stuff. But you know, where's this room gonna stand six months from now? And that's 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 a really interesting proposition to me. Um, Lee, you know, it started the season putting the ball on the ground. You can't do that at that position. And and I think that's something that's stuck in people's heads. Um, you know, we we talked in the offseason about him getting faster, didn't really show up uh, on on the uh, on the field. But he was your your best running back as you split hairs amongst all the other guys. He was your best running back. And you you were particularly impassioned about it after the Outback Bowl, got those four carries, kind of disappeared at spells, went back to the quarterback running game and things like that, and really did not have success with doing so. I mean, that put that that room, like the offensive line, needs a complete reset. Kaziah Holmes is back on campus for the spring. There was questions about whether or not, you know, he would stick it out after taking that red shirt year next year. Devin Ford, there's still questions about whether, you know, he'll be a part of the equation moving forward. And then you've got those two freshmen in Lee. That room needs a complete set uh, reset, um, you know, willing to give them the chance because we've we've seen some of the, the talented guys make plays in the past. But, you know, you got to question that. Just like we questioned uh, the tight end room a couple of minutes ago, you got to test it, question the running back room, question the running back's involvement, question the offensive call, play calling when you're just taking these guys out of the game on at your own volition. Yeah, Kevon Lee was supposed to essentially redshirt last year. There, there were no red shirts in 20, I'm sorry, two years ago now. There were no red shirts in 2020 because of the pandemic, but that's what he was supposed to be on track to do. He didn't have a senior high school season after transferring, came in as this athlete, as that, you know, build them up kind of guy, a lot to work with, but can he be a college running back and how soon can you get him there? Well, because Journey Brown retires and because Noah King gets hurt in the first possession and because Devin Ford isn't very effective and he's dealing with injuries of his own, all of a sudden, Kevon Lee's your leading rusher, and he had some great moments. He had that big game uh, at Michigan when they picked up their first win that they had been waiting for for a while. But we said it all last offseason. He was a big old fast kid running with the football, rumbling with the football. There wasn't a lot that looked polished about it. You know, There wasn't a lot that looked sustainable about it. But everything you heard, you have this whole kind of offseason to, to polish up your toolkit, work with Jaywan Sider. And like you said, ball security was an issue. But we just never really saw him get an opportunity – to, to go out and get a few possessions strung together and try to see what you can do with some of that momentum. It's very hard to do when they're when you're in for the third possession of the first quarter and then you're not in until you know four possessions later and it's a four minute offense. There's just a lot to, to, to say for being knowing that you're going to be in their next series. Regardless of how this series turns out, you're going to be the running back in their next series. 
And Kevon Lee, I don't know if he's ever really had that uh, in 2021. I'm not sure he'll have it in 2022. And J1 Slater's been pretty on the record about Kevon Lee and where he needs to make up some ground here. Use that aggression. Match the aggression with that huge athletic profile, this powerful body of yours, and decisiveness. Too often we're seeing Kevon Lee tiptoe a little bit, and all of a sudden he's moving laterally in the backfield. That was an issue for even Miles Sanders, who has quite a bit of burst, and, and that kind of sidetracked Miles Sanders at Penn State at times, trying to do some Saquon Barkley stuff. Kevon Lee has no, 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 no need to be doing, uh, you know, bouncing the football out if he can go forward and get you three, four yards. They needed that on a lot of occasions. Um, and I think Sider, aside from the ball security, was really vocal every time we got him during the season about where Kevon Lee needs to take the next step. So far, it looks like he's going to try to take that next step with Penn State. It felt like all bets were off with every running back in this room when we walked off the field at Raymond James Stadium. So far, it looks like Kevon Lee locked in and, and, and trying to lock in the number one job at running back. Yeah, as we said, he was he was at his best when he was at his most naive, you know, against Michigan there right. in that 2020 game when he just grinded them down. And that was uh, that's some, there's something to be said for that performance. And there's something to be said for that uh, that back that's in there. And that's, you know, we saw it from the jump this year. He was he was going side to side. Uh, trying and I mean, what do you tell you? Four, four, nine in that 40 that he uh, he ran in the offseason. Yeah. I think he was trying to to get to the edge so he could show that to people. This is not the kind of running back he is. Yeah. And uh, so well, another guy here that, that I put in the uh, plate a bunch category, I didn't think he would be there when we got into October, but Koziah is our talk about probably a guy that maybe didn't get talked about enough during the final stretch because Penn State was losing football games. But their defense held up pretty well after that Illinois matchup. They were able to scramble a bit, and, and Izzard was a big part. He was kind of a splint in, in the center of this defensive line when you lose P.J. Mustafer. Derek Tangelo, of course, was a mainstay in the starting lineup, but I thought uh, overall body work from mid-October to January 1st for Kaziah Izzard, very optimistic about where he is for this defense going into year three. Yeah, and he's not necessarily a starter next year, and there's nothing wrong with mm -hmm. that because you've got PJ coming back, you got Devon Ellis coming back, um, but the experience that he got this year invaluable. Um, he looked like a freshman or a redshirt freshman um, this season when he came into the game, and by the end of the season, yeah, it was pretty solid. You know, he, he still looked like a, a young guy that was out there, and you know, Penn State certainly, especially in the Outback Bowl, was susceptible to to some running inside, but. You don't have your best defensive lineman and, or your best def interior defensive player in PJ Mustafer. You got a redshirt sophomore and a redshirt freshman out there. I think that'll happen. You'll you'll give it you'll give those guys a little bit of a grace period, but it gives you an opportunity to, to set the foundation for a rotation. Very very tough for me to say, and then you know I I'm I'm pretty impressed with myself for pulling that one off. But you've got Mustafer, you've got Ellie's, you've got uh, Izzard. You can continue to get some of those other young guys in there. We see those numbers thinning out. Hawkins retiring, Dark was out of there. Um, you know, you got an opportunity to get some of those, like a Fatuma Moba, uh, who played in the uh, in the in in the Outback Bowl. I mean, Vanover might be a full time defensive tackle at this point, depending on numbers at uh, at uh, at the position at, at defensive end. Um, so yeah, you've got a chance to sort of uh, rejuvenate that rotation without adding a transfer. Now, you know, the right guy comes available. Who knows? Um, but uh, that's that seems like a spot that you're you know, feeling better than you maybe thought you would going into or coming out of the season. Moving on from, from major contributors and starters from this group and guys that we think we have a good feel for, or maybe they're going to take the next step towards becoming stars. It goes to the wait and see group now of the 2020 class. And, and I'm going to lead it off with Olu Fashano. And, and there are a bunch of players here who got some late work or, or got 
bowl work because of the opt-outs. Obu Fashano, obviously a primary beneficiary of, of Rashid Walker being sidelined uh, and now entering the NFL draft. And he's the guy the spotlight's on right now at left tackle. Um, I thought overall, I was thinking about him walking into Raymond James Stadium that, that Saturday. How's Olu Fashano feeling about himself right now? thought overall there was a lot of, of holes to poke in what the Penn State offense did and their performance against Arkansas. He wasn't necessarily one of the more glaring issues, and I think that's a great thing. <laughs> yeah, I find myself thinking about Olu Fashanu more than I should. Um, but yeah, I agree with that. I think he's a guy that you can, I don't want to say slide into the left tackle spot because he's got to earn it and he's got to figure out the, you know, if he can, if he can be that consistent guy. But from talking to people before the season, the the the, the book on Fashano was like, okay, we think he's going to be good. And we can throw him out there for a couple series and he can get in people's way and he can do a good job of taking up, you know, I don't want to say taking up space as an offensive tackle because that's not what you do, but he was very, still very raw at that point. And you, you see him in the outback bowl and you think, okay, maybe this guy's got something. You've got uh, size has obviously never been an issue with him. He's a huge guy. If you, if you get a chance to stand beside him, he's just one of those guys that's just absolutely massive. Um, but he, he can move a little bit. He can do some, some good things on the offensive line. I'm excited to see him. I think he's, I thought he was a really, really good prospect i think we had him as a as a high three star at 24 7 sports and he was one of those guys i thought should have been a four star uh based on not only the feedback but what we saw from him in certain areas um i, I like olu a lot and i hope he's uh i hope he's the player that i think he can be yeah he was i just had to double check that because i thought he, he ended up being a four star category by the end of it but he was a high three star and yet he still was the top rated of the five offensive linemen they signed in that 2022 class. And we'll get to the rest of that group in a second, but Olu Fashano stands out there. There's so many players that feel so pivotal to what this offensive line and what this offense can do and needs to do in the next few months with Phil Troutwine and Mike Yurcich and, and Jay one Slater all involved there. Uh, but man, it, it, Olu Fashano is one you just circle and circle and circle because if he can be really good for you, I mean, if he can be reliable for you, let's start there. If he can be consistent and reliable, that is incredibly important. And if he can be more than that, then I think in, in year one, that's probably uh, that's probably uh, best case scenario. Because yeah. to me, Olu Fashano, you, you got to start. You know, this is not an easy schedule to start with. They got the, the we talked about it a lot. You got to travel on the road again for an opener at Purdue. You got to take a trip down to the SEC a couple weeks later. So coming out of September, we'll see how we feel about Olu Fashano. And and as you said, he's got to earn it. We don't know what transfer portal moves will be what might be made there. Who else is going to be in the mix there at left tackle? But it sure is you know, hard to kind of come out of the season and think that that he's not the favorite right now to be in that spot when they snap the football at, you know, at Purdue in September. And I think right now when you look across the group, as, as we'll talk about, unfortunately, there's just not a lot of guys in that class yet in year three that you're pointing to and saying he's ready to play. We've heard that Olu was ahead of the curve with that group. And unfortunately for him, November was was a bit of a wash because of being banged up we don't know the extent of that injury but sounds like it cost him a couple potential november starts at tackle in place of rasheed walker while he was sidelined himself yeah he was set to start the Rutgers game i think it was and then um you know was out for the last two two games so uh yeah i mean he's it, this is one where i think you don't want to look too far ahead but you build your 23 offensive line around 
Landon Tangwall and Olu Fashanu, and then see what see what else you can figure out there. That is, you know, when we split up Lackawanna before, when we split up the receiver class, you're splitting up this this O line class, and 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 you know, it's it's wait and see for all offensive linemen. You're not expecting a guy to be in his second year that can come out and and push and start, especially with the group that they took with a couple of projects in there. Um, but yeah, the, this one is one that's still the the jury is very much out, and Olu's your best uh, contributor so far with one start. So um, that's uh, that, that's going to be very much up in the air. Um, you know, we, we talked the other day about you took one, uh, you know, you, you ended up with one in the 2021 class. You ended up with two high school guys in the 2022 class. Well, this is the one where you actually threw numbers at. So hopefully you got to get you got to get more out of these uh, these guys with Jimmy Chris and Golden Achumba, Nick Dawkins and Ibrahim Chayore. And I don't I don't see anybody, any one of those guys really pushing for a starting spot next year, which is I don't, I don't want to say an indictment on them, but you would like to see those guys, uh, you know, mixing it up and getting getting a little further into it. Uh, a couple other offensive weapons here that, that, you know, we'll see what they do this offseason. Both of them made an impact for Penn State in the last couple of Novembers. It was November 2020 for Keziah Holmes, finished off the year with a couple of touchdowns, uh, about 100 total yards from scrimmage against Illinois. Then he was tucked away uh, as a second-year player here for Penn State, J1 Sider, really relegating him to the scout team uh, and trying to, to iron him out as a, as a running back prospect during the course of his second year on campus. He was a guy who was not supposed to play the way he did uh, his first year. But as we said, the running back room got blown up in 2020. So we saw a lot more of Holmes than didn't see much of him at all this year. Then Malik Mega, big November 2021, had a big touchdown reception, uh, some uh, some involvement in the Outback Bowl. Ultimately, he was sidelined, it seemed there. Um, but tell you what, Mega, Holmes, a lot of athleticism to love in both cases. Uh, guys who, you know, we talked about the potential for each coming onto campus here in year three. Um, you know, it could go either way for these guys, but it certainly seems like Mega is moving in one direction and Keziah Holmes is just kind of stuck in this. Uh, I don't know if it's a purgatory spot, but when you don't make an impact in this running back group after what they dealt with, you just wonder where he is right now. And, and he's a guy that I think everybody's kind of keeping that eye on for, for running back movement. Are we done yet? What's Devin Ford going to do? What's Kaziah Holmes going to do? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, you know, you you had an, a room where you had incredibly limited production. You had a guy that played, you know, as a true freshman, even though he looked like a true freshman while he was out there and probably could have used the full, you know, typical redshirt year. So you kind of flip flop those. Um, took the redshirt last year. But yeah, you have to question, you know, was he ready to go and how much behind is he if you're coming into a season in this year where you're kind of resetting that running back room now he has the opportunity to be there and he's got some athleticism some some really good things that uh you know have popped up in the last year but you still got a question i don't i don't think there's any way around it and then mega you know he showed toward the end of the year that he started to press into there interesting dynamic here you're adding mitchell tinsley who you think is a starter caliber player um is Malik Mega, the fourth guy, is he a guy that can push into the starting line? I, I don't know. You know, he's just so raw. Now, I will say this about Mega. He's probably ahead of schedule. You know, we, we, we earmarked him for being a guy that took a while to get into the swing of things, not a, you know, not a traditional football player with his background in, in Canada and things like that. Um, but he's probably a little bit of ahead of schedule of where you would you would think he would be as a receiver. He caught that long touchdown pass, and I know he's he's definitely got strides to make. Um, but you know, I I, I kind of like where he's at right now. Just kind of has the opportunity to not be the guy, not be a guy that's in the crosshairs of the defense, but can s step up and make a couple of plays every year. 
I think he definitely oh, had a schedule. Yeah, I think he's yeah. definitely had a schedule when you factor in the, the lost time because it sounds like he was putting together a pretty strong preseason camp uh, of work, and then all of a sudden he's sidelined by an injury, and he catches up though. I mean, by the time November rolls around, he's a factor in that rotation. He's working his way up, and I think that opened a lot of eyes the way he was able to bounce back from a setback in the season emotionally, mentally, physically, showed the staff a lot, showed this uh, receiver room a lot. And like you said, doesn't need a log starts, but he's the he's the player where you can turn two, three targets a game uh, into something special potentially because of what he brings to the field as a phenomenal athlete. I am not sure where he is in terms of uh, becoming that wide receiver. Is he 30% of the wide receiver he could potentially be? Is he 50%? That's Taylor Stubblefield's job to gauge. But Maybe his moment as a primary target is in 2023 or beyond. But, yeah, he, he can definitely – we saw it. He can be a factor, and he can be a fun one uh, going into 2022. Um, defensively, Sean, you mentioned Amin Vanover, a player who's been mentioned as, as a versatile component of the defensive front, outside, inside. Is he going to stay inside? Tyler Elsden played in a lot of games this year, uh, got some run in the outback bowl with, with starting linebackers missing. Um those guys going into year three, as is Zariah Fisher, who, as I said, seems to possess that twitch that this team needs off the edge going into 2022. And maybe the guy for me, I'm not there yet, but I think there's going to be a breakout candidacy kind of conversation if he goes out there and puts together a strong spring here uh, in year number two, playing the defensive end position. Of course, Fisher signed as a linebacker. Uh, lost a bunch of weight before he got to campus to try to fill that role. And Mother Nature had different ideas. And by the end of season one, sort of the Penn State staff. Yeah, just one of those anomalies. He's a thick kid that looks skinny when he's out there. And he looks he looked like a linebacker that was playing defensive end this year. And he's, you know, I, I'd love to see him be that guy that can get to the quarterback for Penn State. I don't know how uh, close he is to being a full, you know, a starter or a guy that can be in the full-time rotation or, uh, or, or what. Um, but I you know, you know, there's a heck of a football player in there. So I'm really curious to see how this offseason treats um, uh, Zariah Fisher. I mean, does he need to play at 260 pounds? It, you know, is he at 240? I, I, you just don't know because he looks so skinny. He's got that, I don't want to call him the Shane Simmons thing, but he just looks skinnier than everybody else out there at that position. And, and you know, knowing him as a high school prospect, he was always a thick kid. So that's just one of those crazy um, tricks that your eyes are playing on you. Vanover talked about him before. Not sure where he fits, but I think he does fit on the field, whether that's as a big defensive end or as a, as a, uh, you know, a guy in that defensive tackle rotation. I think he's going to continue to grow into the game. I thought he you know showed some some decent things this year. He did let the quarterback get away from him in the Outback Bowl. He's got, I, I think he's an interior player just uh, in terms of, I don't think, I don't think he's, nearly twitchy enough to be the edge guy an edge guy in this defense um so maybe he played there to uh you know to secure a role and to to shore up that position with depth but i, I think he's an interior guy moving forward elston's a big question for me just uh you know you're not going to take a ton of snaps away from a guy that started for two and a half three years in ellis brooks but at the same time you would have liked to see a little bit more progress seen him a little bit more in the outback bowl um he's got size he's got athleticism but you know is is he a guy that that, that can play at a high level in the big 10 we still haven't seen that yeah, and we've talked about Curtis Jacobs moving inside as you know, being a permanent role. Jonathan Sutherland stepping up to the same position. Really curious to see what this year looks like for Tyler Elsden because if he can come along for you and be ready to play substantial football, you know, that's going to do wonders for, for the depth here. I don't know if he's a starter, but you got to make sure he's ready to be a, a primary contributor, at least that fourth or fifth option for you uh, based on the way this room has developed over the last few years and guys who have left and guys who have come. You mentioned four offensive linemen to keep track on, and, and boy, 
avoid is Penn State needing to get some some hits here. Um, they won't get all. They won't be uh, four for four in this group, but they got to get uh, some of these guys to, to be ready to play uh, football here in 2022 and beyond. It's Jimmy Christ. Golden Israel, Chumba, uh, Nick Dawkins, Ibrahim Traore. We've seen Chris and Traore repping at uh, tackle. Israel Chumba primarily repping at guard. Dawkins been at guard. He's been at center. Um, and, and, you know, I think on the varsity field pretty consistently this year, we were seeing Nick Dawkins involved. We were seeing Jimmy Chris there. Uh, Golden Israel Chumba kind of and, and Traore made their way to, to, the, to the with the big boys a little bit more as tackle injuries and, and, and illness issues popped up late in the season. But as we said, uh, you know, it's it's a group that has a long way to go. And Phil Troutwine, this was uh, he inherited this group as a recruiting class. Um, but everyone's watching closely to see what Troutwine can do developmentally with these young players, because the answer can't be you got to find two stars in the transfer portal uh, year in, year out. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that second part, no doubt. Um, not fair to, to to ask this group to be ready to start this year, this past year. Um, but, uh, you know, there's there's certainly questions about where they stand in the pecking order. Uh, Jimmy Chris, probably your closest to playing. We saw him play uh, against Rutgers. Held up, I thought he held up all right. I, I'd like to see him take that next step and compete for that tackle position. But, yeah, you've got, uh, got questions about where all these guys stand amongst their peers. Um, you know, I think uh, Nick Dawkins is interesting because the, the path at center there is a little bit uh, less congested um, than the path at guard. So can you can you find a starter at center there? Um, Achumba's been hurt. Uh, Traore's been sort of behind with those other guys. So, uh, yeah, I think there's there's it's fair to question. I, I don't think it's fair to question uh, why these guys aren't playing yet, but it's mm -hmm. fair to question where they stand in this in this pecking order. Yeah, and that, that's what year three does to you in college football. You go from, okay, year two, okay, keep keep coming along. Year three, it's time to make a move, especially with the transfer portal looming. It's like year three, you got to figure out how you fit. The staff's got to figure out how you fit. And of course, you should still have growth ahead in year four, maybe year five. But I think you're going to learn a lot this spring semester as the staff kind of evaluates this group, not just on the offensive line, but a lot of these names we've mentioned. Some others who fall into the category of, of working pretty much behind the scenes, maybe a little bit of spot work late in the season last year. Jaden Dotton, that wide receiver. Uh, Fatora Malba, who's strong as an ox, but you know, want to see how he develops as a defensive tackle. And then Bryce Mostella, who's been just about as out of, out of sight, out of mind as anybody still on this roster from the 2020 class. Yeah, Dotton played a little bit in the Outback Bowl. Actually kind of surprised me. We haven't seen much of him uh, with the varsity this year. So, you know, obviously you, you have an opportunity to, to play some younger guys there. Moba uh, is one of those guys you put in a phone booth. You just say, take up space inside. He's going <laughs> to have to get more athletic. He's going to have to get, for lack of a better you know, term better at football, just, you know, he's as strong as an ox. I mean, absolutely just can move any, anything, uh, you know, from, from a weight room perspective, he's got to transition that and, and, and get it done on the field. You know, nobody expected him to be ready at this point anyway. Um, so for him to get on the field and do some, do some things, uh, you know, in that goal line package and things like that, just hold some guys up. That's pretty much what's expected of him. Mostella, I, I don't think it's hitting, you know, I don't think it, it has hit and I don't think it's hitting, uh, you know, just, uh, kind of a a bendy guy uh a guy that you took a chance on but i just don't think it's uh don't think it's going to come together there pretty comprehensive breakdown there more than 20 players on this roster still we've got a lot to learn about uh we think we have a good handle on several of them but a lot of mystery with this group year three underway uh winter workouts and then of course spring ball uh to kind of see where their stock is at this stage of their careers Sean, looking ahead a bit, Penn State coaches back on the road this week. You've been reporting that uh, on our lines247.com for our VIP subscribers. Uh, not just on the road for recruits, but it's transfer hunting season as well. 
Anything standing out to you right now as the Penn State staff goes about its business, spearheaded by James Franklin, who, as usual, logging the miles? Yeah, it's pretty much all underclassmen at this point. I know they they offered the the offensive lineman from Washington, uh, who's actually at the Poly Bowl this weekend in Hawaii, along with four Penn State commits, uh, Denai Dennis Sutton, Anthony Ivy, Drew Shelton, and Cam Miller have been out there, and th- those practices they look hot. I, I'm not gonna lie, they look really hot. Um, but uh, uh, from a temperature standpoint, I I don't know why I said that. Um, but uh, yeah, you, you just look at James Franklin's making the rounds. Hit Atlanta, hit uh, North Carolina, the Charlotte area of North Carolina yesterday. Flew up to Pittsburgh uh, to watch Rodney Gallagher and Quentin Martin play basketball last night, which, you know, uh, Pat Narduzzi was there too. So no Anchorman style uh, giant battle there uh, between the coaches. But, you know, that's a, a popular spot. And they'll they'll get on and, and, and hit some of those other areas today. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's all forward focused. It's 2023, 2024, uh, even some 2025 offers going out this week. So um, a lot to uh, a, a lot of ground being covered, a lot of states being covered. But you see some of those priority areas. Uh, they'd love to get guys up from the Atlanta area. Manny Diaz was in Alabama yesterday. They they started. I don't want to say they've gotten you know traction in Alabama, but they've gotten some guys up for visits from Alabama. Going to continue to get guys up uh, from the South for for visits and things like that. But just keep chipping away in some of those areas. Virginia Beach, Poindexter has been down there. He's obviously been a familiar face there for a long, long time. So um, hit your regular areas and try and try and dig yourself back into uh, into some of those other areas that's been fruitful in the past. By the way, Alabama native Harrison Wallace, uh, wide receiver group. Uh, would it be helpful in Alabama to have him do some big things for you uh, next year? By the way, I was tripped up for a bit. I was picturing James Franklin with the conch shell and and assembling his team. Jay One Sider running in with his weapon of choice. Thank you for the anchorman reference. Always appreciate well, it. Well, it's, it's Pittsburgh, so it would have been Terry Smith. But, yeah, you, that was close. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, and, and then, of course, you know, out and about for the transfers. Is it realistic to cling to the thought that Penn State is going to replenish a position or two by the time for spring semester with a transfer? Or are we more realistic to move forward and say May is now the target for when you see an addition to this roster? Yeah, it looks like May is more more realistic here. Um, the guys that they're after, especially in the offensive line, Steen and Norzad, are both guys that will finish up and and enroll at the school of their choice in May. So, um, you know, classes started last week here at Penn State, and there's there's a late ad period, so I don't really expect uh, much help in the immediate fashion. And, you know, that's that's one of those things when you look at and say, who do they offer? You know, where were the opportunities there? And you, they missed a couple, no doubt. Um, just haven't gone after probably as many as we thought. You know, space is probably looking at – uh, probably four, three or four or five guys, uh, depending on what's available for them. And you got the the, the scholarship reset and, and things like that. But yeah, you, I expected maybe one or two more uh, before the spring spring semester. It just didn't work out. Mitchell Tinsley's all they have at this point. By the way, former offensive lineman uh, Des Holmes, who entered the portal for Penn State at the end of 2021, uh, he's going to finish his career at Arizona State. He announced that on Wednesday night. Sean, it's five-star Good mailbag thing. time. And uh, we Good go right Des. back. It's to- really warm out there. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Sure. Yeah. yeah Dude, it's you're really, talking it's about really Hawaii warm out there. Hot. Good for him. Hey, hey it's man, really warm you're, almost you're everywhere when you're watching from here. I mean, it, it is, yeah, a, it is, it is a frozen world right now. We are living in here in happy Valley, but enough about my complaining junior day last weekend. What is next for Penn state uh, recruiting on campus? That's the question that comes to us from the five-star mailbag. Sean, uh, Penn State set to host uh, not quite the group that they had last Saturday, but a group nonetheless. 
Yeah, another junior day along or coming along this weekend. It's not, as we said, not the group that came in last weekend, not the group that's expected next weekend, uh, kind of an in-between weekend. But you still have some targets on campus. Kenny Johnson, the wide receiver from the York area that Penn State offered last fall, kind of started blowing up in that uh, in that area of the state, um, had a really good year. I think the receiver room is going to be crowded this weekend. Ronan Hannafin from, from Massachusetts is going to be down. Anthony Brown, uh, Minnesota commit, I wrote about this morning online, 247.com. He's going to be in. So you've got some offered guys in that room and you know taylor stubblefield still feeling his way out in this 2023 class which is probably what you should do at this point when you know i I don't want to say nobody jumps to the top but you don't have a bona fide number one guy that you can look to on this board and say he's absolutely this guy or absolutely any of these three guys or johnny shakir you know just a bunch of guys that are that are out there um you know and i think they're still involved with some national guys and that'll depend if they can get them in for official visits and as i ramble on this one uh, a couple of kids coming in from washington uh the, the, the connection out there, you know, Terry Smith knows some folks out there, Kyle Chen and Tahir Mathis, both have offers from Penn State. I'm not sure that they can act on those offers right now, but going to get them in. That's just, and it's, it's crazy to think uh, for just a random junior day, you're getting guys in from Washington State, by the way, not Washington, D.C. Um, so that's crazy. D. Creighton, a really highly regarded uh, four-star linebacker uh, from down south will be up. Dom Nichols is a guy that, that that I'm intrigued by. They just offered him a few weeks ago as one of those guys that all of a sudden film gets out there and and a bunch of schools hop on him. Penn State was in, included in that. He's from Maryland, kind of that Brian Bressy area of Maryland, uh, you know, Urbana type. Uh, it, it's a, a kind of a small school. Uh, so you've got the, you've got an opportunity for, sh- for showing him. And then, you know, a bunch of walk-on, uh, pr- uh, prospects are coming in this weekend, a bunch of 22 and 22 guys as they try to solidify what they're doing in the 2022 class. So it's a junior day. It, there is talent coming in, but I think it's an in-between junior day. And that's kind of how they, they've set this one up with a purpose. A reminder, Penn State number three nationally in 2023 composite class rankings, six total commits on board. Most recently, Neo Avery on uh, New Year's Eve joining this class. And uh, again, it's been a busy week for 2023 coverage up online, 247.com. Brian Doan doing a lot of heavy lifting, talking to these recruits coming off of their experiences in Happy Valley last week. A bunch up on the site right now for our VIP subscribers. Of course, Sean doing a great job forecasting what lies ahead for this weekend in Happy Valley. Sure, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Anything else to add before we step aside? And, and of course, we're back with a couple more shows next week. Uh, not particularly. I mean, just stick uh, stick to the site for for some junior day coverage, and uh, that's that should be about it, really. Just I thought we did a comprehensive review in that 2020 class. Probably got a little deeper than we expected to. Right. Um, but you got two long episodes this week, so hopefully, hopefully everyone enjoyed them. We'll see you next weekend or next week. Yeah, we hope. Absolutely. We'll be back. Uh, We'll talk to you real soon. The transfer portal. We never know when something's going to drop there. It may have dropped when we were talking here, but uh, when it does happen, analysis, feedback coming your way on lines247.com. Thanks to Sean, producer Lance Glenn. I'm Tyler Donahue. This is the Lines 24-7 podcast. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.